Thank you for listening to this sermon from Hope Church, Toronto West. It is our prayer that through these audio sermons, you are challenged and transformed by the Word of God, built up in love and faith, and drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now as you prepare your heart to receive God's Word, we pray that His Spirit would use the sermon powerfully All right, in your life. All right, we're going to be jumping right into God's Word today. So if you have your Bible, please take it and go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 42 to 47. If you don't have a Bible today, you can put up your hand and one of the ushers would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible will be our gift to you. We'd love you to take it home and read it and have your life radically transformed by the Word of God. Just another reminder every week, I want to let you know that we're a church who brings our Bibles to church because this preacher has nothing really to say apart from the living word of God. Acts chapter two is where we're gonna be. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts in the New Testament. If you're looking for it, verses 42 to 47 is where we're gonna be. Progressing through our series called The Church, Its Purpose and Why It Matters. Just by way of reminder, we've asked the question already, what is the church? We've asked the question, who belongs to the church? We've asked the question, who leads the church? We've asked the question, what about deacons in the church? And today we ask a very important question that I've been praying God presses the answers into our hearts in such a meaningful way. Here's the question we're gonna be tackling today. What is the purpose of the church? What is the purpose of the church? Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. We've been in this text already throughout this series, but God's word is like a treasure. It's like a diamond. We're going to turn it a little bit today. We're gonna see other dimensions to this text today as well. So starting from verse 42, speaking of the earliest believers, the Bible says this, and they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We have here a beautiful picture of the earliest Christians and their fellowship together. And we have here a beautiful portrait. And a prayer of my heart is that this church, our church would be like this, okay? So we're gonna draw some truth from here. And if you have a pen and a paper, a sermon note card in your hand, you can make a note of this. This is where we're gonna start. The purpose of the church, we need to get started with this. Number one is this, the exaltation of God the exaltation of God. Before we dive into expound these verses that I just read, Acts 2, 42 to 47, we're gonna take a little tour throughout the Bible 
through certain texts and certain themes that teach this foundational truth that the purpose of the church, the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ locally and universally is primarily this, the exaltation of God. On the screen for you, the mission of our church goes like this, and I encourage you to know this mission. Our mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Why to glorify God? Well, here's the answer. Because the single thread that weaves the entire Bible together is the glory of God. And because the loudest and clearest and most central theme of God's creative and redemptive purposes for the universe is the glory of God, the exaltation of God, the magnification of his beauty and his glory, and the most plain and obvious reality that's apparent to all people everywhere, whether we realize it or not, as they stand in front of the Grand Canyon or as they stare at a massive oak tree or as they watch a beautiful rainbow appear out of thin air as the sprinkler waters the lawn, this is the obvious reality that our creator God is awesome and worthy to be praised. All of creation testifies to the glory of God. On the screen for you, Isaiah 43, 7 affirms this when God calls his people from the north and the south when he says, bring everyone who is called by my name, notice this, whom I created for what purpose? For my glory, whom I formed and made. On the screen for you, the historical confessions and creeds of the Christian faith have always affirmed this reality. The glory of God is the purpose of the church and the purpose for which we exist. The Westminster Catechism, for example, asks the most fundamental question of existential significance. What is the chief end of man? What are we here for? Why were we created? Why do we exist? Here's the answer. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The purpose of the church then, loved ones, is tied up within this overarching purpose. The purpose of the church is the glory of God, the exaltation of God, the magnification of God's glorious grace. The apostle Paul makes this plain in Ephesians 1, 3 to 6 on the screen when he writes this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, who? has blessed the church in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us. Who? Who did he choose? The church, his church, in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Watch this. Why? 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 According to the purpose of his will, notice it, to the praise of of his glorious grace. That's why we're here. That's why we've been saved. That's why we've been created. That's why we've been gathered 
into local assemblies and form the universal church around the world for the glory of God is why we exist. Paul later writes in Ephesians 3, 20 to 21, in grand doxological fashion on the screen, he says, now to him who was able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us, watch this, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. To him be glory in the church. The purpose of the church, loved ones, listen to me carefully, the purpose of the church is not to please carnal men and women. The purpose of the church is not to appease the sinful policies of governments and those in high places. The purpose of the church is not to make a name for ourselves in the world. The single greatest purpose of the church is the glory of God, the exaltation of God, the magnification of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Why? Because the church is his the church belongs to him because he has established his church, because it is he who is building his church, because it is he who has graciously called men and women, you and I from every tribe and tongue and people and language to be grafted into this covenant community called the church. And therefore, basic to good biblical ecclesiology is this fact. Only God can define what the church is and the practices of the church and the purpose of the church and the priorities of the church. That's why the leaders of the church must have a tight grip on the Bible because it is through the Bible that we get our definitions. It's through the Bible that we understand God's heart for the church and God's purpose for the church. And that's why the people of the church must align their expectations. We must align our wants, our desires, what we want from the church. We must align these things with the Bible continually. You ever come to church and think, I wish the church was more like this, or I wish the church was more like that, or I wish there was more of this in the church. But are your expectations aligned with God's purpose? because it is his church and he defines the purpose of it. That's why our ideas about worship, our creativity concerning our gatherings, our notions of what good and right outreach must look like must always be brought into subjection to what God's word has to say. And at the end of the day, People may or may not be pleased with our church, but the real question, loved ones, the real issue of greatest significance for us is not necessarily what so-and-so has to say about our church. The real question is, is God pleased with our church? That's the question because he has defined its purpose and we live according to that purpose. And our aim then is to measure our success based on that standard given to us in God's word. So I'll say it again. People may or may not like 
what we do in this church. But that's not the most important issue for us. The most significant issue is this. Does God like what we're doing in this church? Are we living for the purpose of the exaltation of his name? That's the primary purpose of the church. First and foremost, the exaltation of God. Secondly, this, the purpose of the church, not only the exaltation of God, but you can write this down, uh, the edification of the saints. The edification or the saints or the growth or the encouragement or the strengthening of the people of God. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 gives us an absolutely stunning picture of the church in its earliest days. And in many ways during this sermon, in many ways I'm praying that we are asking the Holy Spirit to erase any portrait of church that we have created for ourselves and begin to ask the Holy Spirit through the word of God to reinforce the beauty and the power and the transcendence of his intention for the church. So we're gonna learn some very significant things here today. And I'm praying so much for you that God uses it to change us. So I wanna teach you a few things right from this text that will give us an understanding of how exactly God's people are to be edified and therefore fulfill God's purpose for the church. I want you to write this down. The assembly of the saints grow and are edified through, here's the first thing I wanna show you. I'm calling it right preaching. Right preaching. The reason I say right preaching is because there's a lot of preaching out there that is not right. Right preaching. Notice verse 42 now of Acts 2. The Bible says, and they devoted themselves, the earliest Christians devoted themselves. They gave themselves to what? What did they give themselves to? Well, it says the apostles' teaching. Other translations call it the apostles' doctrine. In other words, they were devoting themselves to, they were passionately committed to understanding and believing the truth of God's word. That's what doctrine is. It's a belief system. It's what we believe. I mean, A.W. Tozer famously said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In other words, what we believe about God, what doctrines we embrace about God, essentially our theology is what shapes our entire view of life. So very important for us to understand that the way God is intended for the church to be edified is to have right thoughts of God. And the way we get right thoughts of God is by devoting ourselves to the right preaching of God's word. Because where else can we get right thoughts of God but from God's word, God's revealed message to us? This is massively significant then, especially in our day of increasing biblical illiteracy. And that is just true. We live in a day of increasing biblical illiteracy. We're living in a day of mass confusion concerning what God has said. And I'm talking about in the church. It's a post-Christian culture. People out there, they don't know anything about God's word. People out there, if you go on the streets, you walk around Mimico or go downtown Toronto, you ask someone, oh, what do you know about the Bible? They're not gonna know anything. I'm talking about the church right now increasing biblical illiteracy. You say, well, how do, how do you know that, Jason? You're being a little bit judgmental. Well, in a recent survey as part of 
what's called the State of Theology Report by Ligonier Ministries. Evangelical Christians were asked, for example, was Jesus a created being? You know the answer? I sure hope you know the answer. Was Jesus a created being? And large numbers of evangelical Christians affirmed incorrectly that Jesus was a created being. He's not a created being. Jesus exists eternally, in eternity past, present, and forever. Christians were also asked about the Holy Spirit in this state of theology report. And again, large numbers of evangelical Christians, not the world, evangelical Christians stated the incorrect belief that the Holy Spirit was some kind of abstract force and not the third person of the Trinity, the third member of the Godhead who lives within us, not as a force to give us whatever we want, but as a person who abides in us, who dwells in us, who convicts us of sin, who teaches us of the truth, who glorifies Jesus Christ, who guides us in our lives in all truth. These are not small problems, loved ones. These are essential matters of doctrine. And in an age where truth has been relativized and any claim to absolute truth is demonized, the church better understand its purpose. And the church better be prepared to stand counter to the culture in costly ways. On the screen for you is John Stott who wrote this, the church depends on the truth for its existence. The truth depends on the church for its defense and proclamation. On the screen for you, 1 Timothy 3.15, the apostle Paul calls the church, the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. A buttress is a strong support that upholds a structure. The church then is to uphold and defend and support the truth. That's why the apostles were devoted to doctrine, right teaching, right preaching, and the church in its earlier days was devoted to right preaching. On the screen in 2 Timothy 4, 1 to 2, Paul exhorted Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, essentially he's saying the stakes are so high, young pastor Timothy, he says this, preach the word. Whatever you do, young pastor Timothy, you must preach the word. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching whatever you do, young pastor. Preach the word. Whatever you do, when the world opposes you, when they want to take your life, when they want to persecute you, whatever you do, I charge you, preach the word. Loved ones, it's absolutely amazing to me the number of people who choose their local church based on the vibe of the room on a Sunday morning or 
the number of programs that it offers, or some subjective experience that people feel when they're at that church, all the while saying things like, I know the Bible is not preached properly here, but... It's amazing to me the number of Christians who choose their church based on everything except the most important thing. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard this, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard preachers lament hearing this. I know the preacher doesn't really preach, but there's really good fellowship. Really? I would suggest to you there's no real fellowship apart from strong right teaching about what fellowship is. I know the, the, the preacher isn't really preaching that, that much the Bible, but, but there's really strong outreach. People are really getting saved. Really? Because I would commend to you that no one can be saved apart from a strong doctrine of the gospel, the word of God. I really like the program. I know the preacher doesn't really preach the word, you know, but I, you know, I'm willing to just go along with, why? Why? Well, it comes back to this massively deficient ecclesiology. We don't understand the purpose of the church. And so we'll go to a church for any reason. And if the Bible preaching is absent, it doesn't really bother us. If the church doesn't edify its members through faithful expositions of God's truth, then the church fails in its essential purpose of upholding and teaching and defending and proclaiming the truth. And if the church loses the truth, it ceases to function according to its design and purpose, essentially losing its saltiness in the world. This is one thing we cannot lose. We can lose programs. We can lose creativity. We can lose a lot of innovative ideas. We cannot lose the truth. We can't. The assembly of the saints grow and are edified through right preaching. Secondly, this. The assembly of the saints grow and are edified through, make a note of this, intimate fellowship. Intimate fellowship. Notice verse 42 and then 44. Bible says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here it is now. And the fellowship, jumping to 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. More statistics from the State of Theology report. The survey put out the following statement for people's reaction and did a poll. Here's a statement. Worshiping alone is a valid replacement for attending church. True or false in your mind? In 2016, 40% of evangelicals said, yes, worshiping alone is a valid replacement for attending church. In 2018, 42% of evangelicals said, yes, worshiping alone is a valid replacement for attending church, a slight increase. In 2020, 
Interesting, 39% of evangelicals said yes, worshiping alone is a valid replacement for attending church. A slight decrease, but watch this now. In the year 2022, 54% of evangelicals said yes, worshiping alone is a valid replacement for attending church. That was a huge increase. And I would add, that is horrible ecclesiology and a mass departure from what we see in the New Testament church. The earliest Christians devoted themselves to the fellowship. What is fellowship? Fellowship is not gathering in someone's living room and eating chips. That's not fellowship. The definition of fellowship is that we are gathered together based on our common bond and what we have in common with each other, and that is Jesus Christ and the gospel. Fellowship is not sitting around the TV watching a basketball game with a bunch of Christians. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is sitting around in a living room and talking about what we have in common with one another, the Lord Jesus Christ. Fellowship is gathering around in a living room or in a church building and worshiping the Lord together and giving thanks together and talking about how he's sharpening us in our Christian journey or how he's challenging us in our Christian journey. So many times we think fellowship is going to the sports bar and eating barbecue wings with other Christians. That's not fellowship. Fellowship is gathering around. Can you find people like that anymore? Can you find people like that who want to gather to talk about God? That's true fellowship. That's what the earliest believers were committed to. That's what we want to see happen in our small groups. That's what we want to see happening in our drop-in study every Tuesday. That's what we want to see happening as people gather in many different ways across our church. Because let me tell you something, what Jesus has done for us is amazing. And he saved us, he transferred us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That if I walk out of these doors at the end of this service and I get hit by a car, I have my eternity secure. It's an amazing thing to talk about to give thanks for. What is the purpose of the church? The edification of the saints. Through their ongoing intimate fellowship with one another. Do you believe that? Really quick before we move on, if I ask you the question today, you're part of the survey, is worshiping alone or with your family a valid replacement for church, what would you say? I pray that even after this message, you would say no. The earliest believers devoted themselves to the fellowship. All right, the assembly of the saints grow and are edified through right preaching, through intimate fellowship. Thirdly, write this down, through fervent prayer. Fervent prayer. Notice verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which is a reference to the Lord's Supper. We have a specific teaching coming on this very soon. But notice this now, and the prayers. And the prayers. The earliest Christians were absolutely devoted to gatherings for prayer, the ultimate expression of their dependence on the Lord. Let me show you. Upon receiving the Great Commission and after Christ's ascension and just prior to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us they were all together devoting themselves to what? Prayer, Acts chapter 114. 
upon receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and at the inception of the church, they didn't gather around a boardroom table to strategize. Acts 2.42, our text today, shows us that they were devoting themselves to what? To prayer. Peter and John were on their way to a prayer meeting in Acts chapter 3 when they encountered a lame beggar, which became the occasion for a healing and for the salvation of a soul. When Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel, the church didn't riot, the church didn't fight, the church called a prayer meeting, calling on the Lord for boldness, calling on the Lord for deliverance, calling on the Lord in such a way that literally, literally shook the room. You can read about it in Acts 4, 31. And as you continue to read through the account of the early church in the book of Acts, you will find that prayer is what sustained them and prayer is what emboldened them and prayer is what changed them and prayer is what accomplished things for them. They were devoted to fervent prayer. It's no wonder then that the Apostle Paul exhorts the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 to pray without ceasing. It's no wonder that Paul exhorts the church at Colossae in Colossians 4.2 to continue steadfastly in prayer. It's no wonder then that the apostle exhorts the Ephesians in Ephesians 6.18 to keep on praying in the spirit at all times with all kinds of prayer. And it should come as no surprise to you that our church was born in a prayer meeting over nine years ago. And that our church is sustained, we believe, by God's people praying. And that our church must continue to grow in our dependence upon the Lord in gatherings for corporate prayer, whether it's pre-service prayer or a monthly church-wide prayer meeting or prayer for the city whenever we engage in our Reach for the City programs or whatever it is we do in our small groups or wherever we gather. The prayer meeting, loved ones, is not some optional thing we tag on. The purpose of the church of Jesus Christ is to edify the saints and to exalt God. And the way we are edified is through right preaching and intimate fellowship and regular fervent prayer together. And those of us that understand our great need for him will increasingly get to the place of prayer. Loved ones, if there's one meeting you cannot miss in our church, it is the church-wide prayer meeting. Come and see what God will do through a church that understands this. The assembly of the saints grow and are edified through right preaching, intimate fellowship, fervent prayer. Fourthly, this, a generous mercy. Generous mercy. Notice verses 43 to 45 of Acts 2. The Bible says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. The Lord was confirming his word through these wonders and signs. Verse 44 says, and all who believed were together, had such sweet fellowship, had all things in common. Notice this now. And they were selling their possessions and belongings. Just think about that. The early church, they began selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Later it says that they received their food with glad and generous hearts, right preaching, intimate fellowship, fervent prayer, and we can't miss this. The church is edified through its generosity and its ministry of mercy, and this is more woven into the fabric of the purpose of the church than you may have thought. I'm going to show you something that Jesus said on the screen for you. 
I want to show you some of the most powerful words Jesus spoke concerning the essential nature of mercy and compassion to what it means to be a disciple. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 25, 31 to 40. It says this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left, talking about the judgment. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then notice what Jesus says. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, as you did it to one of these brothers, these disciples, you did it to me. Now, this is an amazing picture of the final judgment that Jesus gives, and it's a very powerful picture. When Jesus will separate those who are his from those who are not, the sheep and the goats. And what's absolutely amazing here is how Jesus conveys the fundamental characteristic or mark of those who belong to him, those who inherit the kingdom. It is the mark of mercy and compassion. Amazing. That's not that we earn our entrance into the kingdom with deeds of mercy and compassion. No, it's simply this. Jesus is saying those who have experienced his mercy, those who have experienced his grace are those who have been so changed by his mercy and grace that they turn around and they extend it to one another. And they see the needs of the brothers and the sisters, Jesus says. They see the needs of others in the church and they bear the burden together. We carry the burden together. What a far cry from 2022 individualistic Christianity. I sit on my couch in my pajamas and I watch church online and that's church. What a far cry. Jesus says that when a brother or sister loses their job in the church, we weep with them and we extend mercy. This is what we do when a brother or sister needs some sort of support. We feel what they're feeling. We step towards them with mercy and compassion. This is what we do. And Jesus says something absolutely stunning and amazing that leaves everyone perplexed. He says, when you've done it to each other, when you've done it to the least of these, when you see a broken brother or sister in the fellowship and you move towards them, when you see a, a brother or sister in the fellowship who's so needy and you move towards them, Jesus says, you're doing it to me. You're doing it to me. Jesus identifies himself with his suffering saints and we can identify with him in his suffering. And when we extend mercy and compassion, Jesus says, this is so personal. You're doing it to me. This is how the church is edified. 
This is the purpose of the church. The church, loved ones, is not an event to attend. The church is a family to belong to, not an event to attend, not an optional gathering. There are real people here who are members of one another, and God has united us together and called us to identify with one another in our sufferings. So just think about that. I'm almost done. There are real people here. And as a pastor, I get the opportunity to talk with a lot of you. But maybe you're here and your thought is that the church is a, just a place to attend, an event to attend, and you don't know. But there are real people here who have real needs, whom God has called us to move towards. We move towards each other, and Jesus says, when you do it to each other. You've done it to me. This is the mark of my church, mercy and compassion. The assembly of the saints grow and are edified through right preaching, intimate fellowship, fervent prayer, generous mercy. Finally, this, write this down, authentic worship, authentic worship. Notice verse 46, look at your Bibles into 47. It says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Watch this, praising God and having favor with all the people. Praising God, praising God. Really, everything we've just discussed can be categorized, categorized as worship. But verse 47 shows us the beautiful fact that the church of Jesus Christ is in a special and distinct way a worshiping community. We're not here to be as relevant as we can to the world around us. We're here to worship. We're here to worship Jesus. We are a worshiping community. I love how Ligon Duncan puts it when he describes the gathering for worship. He says that we are to, in our worship, read the Bible. We are to sing the Bible. We are to teach the Bible, and we are to pray the Bible. The worship being the overflow of our delight in Jesus Christ, and it occurs not only in our gathered worship, but also in our individual worship. When Paul writes in Romans 12:1 that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, that's worship language, holy and acceptable to God, which is your he says it plainly, your spiritual worship. And so when we come together, we fulfill our purpose as the gathered church when we worship Jesus Christ with our songs and our prayers and our reading and our hearing and our giving. And when we go from this place, we fulfill the purpose of God for our church when we scatter to continue to offer ourselves as a sacrifice of worship. Loved ones, this is a worshiping community. Let me encourage you, when we're gathered together, sing as loud as you can. This is not a show. This is who we are. We're a worshiping community. When it's time for the preaching, open your Bible and read it with me and hear it as worship. And sit on the edge of your seat and ask the Lord, to teach you something and worship him in it. This is who we are, loved ones. The church of Jesus Christ exists for the exaltation of God, for the edification of the saints. I wonder how many of us are spiritually anemic, spiritually malnourished, spiritually discouraged, all because we've failed to understand and engage in the purpose of the church for our 
edification. I pray, loved ones, that you are edified in this church and that you align your expectations with what the Bible says is for our edification. I pray that we would be a church not full of people who come as consumers. Don't come in to consume. What do they have for me today? How good is the sermon gonna be today? How many stories does he have for me today? How good is the music gonna be today? I hope someone encourages me today. I want, I need, give, give, give to me. Let's come in as a worshiping community. Our purpose is to gather like this, to exalt his name and to be edified together, amen? Let's be that kind of church. All right, there is one more thing. The purpose of the church, not only the exaltation of God, not only the edification of his saints, but finally and very importantly this, the purpose of the church, the evangelization of the world. The evangelization of the world. Look at verse 47, then we're gonna wrap up here. The Bible says of the early church, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is not some, you know, it's not a group of people, you know, on one side of Jerusalem thinking to themselves, ooh, I heard Peter's a really good preacher. I'm gonna go over there. There's something miraculous that's happening here that comes through evangelism that comes through the proclamation of the word of God as the word of God increases. How did the Lord add to their number those who are being saved? Well, it's through the proclamation of the good news of the gospel, through the teaching of the gospel with the aim to persuade. I love that definition from Max Stiles. He says that evangelism is teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade, not to manipulate, not to twist arms, but we teach the gospel, it must be learned, it must be heard, it must be received with the aim to persuade them of the truth. That's evangelism. This was the purpose that Jesus gave his disciples on the screen for you in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Go into all the world, evangelize the world, take the good news of the gospel to the world. Paul lays out a very logical and compelling case for evangelism when he wrote the following in Romans 10, 14 to 17. He said, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. They have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Loved ones, we have to have a good ecclesiology. We have to have a good understanding of the purpose of the church. We have to have a firm grasp on the word of God. I can't tell you how many times I hear people say, so many people are getting saved over there. And you go over there. And there's no teaching happening over there. There's no gospel over there. There's no Bible over there. And Paul says, how do people believe without hearing the word? And how do they hear unless people are sent to them to preach? 
Preaching has become a dirty word in our society. Churches are becoming ashamed of preaching. Pastors are putting away pulpits and bringing little round tables and say, hey, let's have a talk. Let's have a talk. No, no, no. The pastor's not called to talk to you. The pastor's called to herald a message from the king. And we are all together to be mobilized by that message, to be heralds of the good news of the gospel to a dying world. Ephesians 3.10, on the, on the screen, Paul says, so that, notice this, through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. How is the Lord adding to this church's number those who are being saved in Acts 2? Well, evangelism is happening. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade is happening through this church. Through the church, Paul says. In case you're wondering, isn't that for parachurch organizations? Isn't all that mission stuff for like Compassion International and like those organizations, isn't that for them? Aren't we supposed to just come here and, and, and want someone to encourage me? Yeah, there's a lot of edification in the church, but... Evangelism is a task given to the church. That's why Paul says, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. And so here's the trouble. Without a singular focus on the purpose of exalting God, we very easily drift into all sorts of activities as the church. And without the clear understanding of the purpose of edifying the saints, we very easily embrace all kinds of ideas of what the church should be doing. And listen, without right preaching and intimate fellowship and fervent prayer and generous mercy and authentic worship, the church becomes a shell of itself, producing a fearful, unsure, and intimidated people in the world. And I suggest to you, that that's much of what the church looks like in these days. Unsure, afraid, shrinking back, worried that we're going to offend. But here's the hope. With our hearts set on glorifying God, and with deep commitment to right preaching and intimate fellowship and fervent prayer and generous mercy and authentic worship, fearful Christians become fearless. And unsure Christians become certain of the one in whom they've believed. And intimidated Christians become unstoppable Christians. This is God's purpose for us. This is our purpose here in the city and in the world. And I pray, and I want you to pray with me, that the Lord would help us to fulfill this purpose for the exaltation of his name, for the edification of the saints, and for the evangelization of the world. Jesus gave the Great Commission to a very small group of guys who did not have ability or gifting or skill in and of themselves to make it happen. But they had the only thing they needed on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. We, loved ones, have the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who makes the fearful fearless. It's the Holy Spirit who emboldens us. 
And I suggest to you, loved ones, that there are people, maybe hundreds represented in this room, through your influence, they need you to draw near to God, to understand theologically your purpose and the purpose of the church so that they can have hope of eternal life. Let's pray. For more resources and information about Hope Church Toronto West, please visit hopechurchtw.ca.